everyone. I wanted to tell you about a job posting we have at Trainer Road, a new one. It's for remote support agents. We've never hired remote ones before, but since we're forced to anyways right now because of COVID, um, we wanted to say it on the podcast. So we'll also accept international applications. It's around 20 hours a week, up to 29. Uh, starts at $17 an hour with a dollar increase, I think, for up to four years. There is um, opportunities later on in the company, but this would be a great like side gig for a pro athlete if you are working um, because you can do this on the couch uh, with your legs up and we'll be able to flexible on hours. When you first train, you just have to have a little bit overlap with the Reno office, but then once you get going, we can kind of set you free. So if you have any questions, please go to trainer.com slash jobs. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee and here with us now we have our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. How you doing, Chad? Hi, everybody. Doing well. Thanks. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And Cannondale and Trainer Rhodes, Amber Pierce. How are you doing? Hello, everyone. We're going to answer more of the cycling and triathlon related questions you submitted at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We get a ton of them. We're super grateful for it. Thank you so much for doing it every week. Uh, we wish we could answer them all, but I don't think the podcast would ever end in that case. We would just continue to do that because this week we're cutting it down to far fewer, far fewer questions than we've covered in the past just because we're going long now that we have all the awesomeness of Chad and Amber and Nate and everything else. So now, uh, Thanks for, we just, you are going to say me. I, I know. I heard I that. That's okay. I'm a color guy. <laughs> That's it. Uh, but I think that the podcast would simply never end. It would just be our job to sit here endlessly. It'd be like some sort of Truman show live stream. So, uh, much better than said that we do it this way. And, but please keep submitting those questions. It's super helpful for us. If you're listening right now on whatever podcast app you're on, you can review. You can also share this with your friends. That's hugely helpful. And if you are watching on YouTube, then you can give us a thumbs up because I know that you're on there right now. It's awesome. We're streaming live every Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific. So if you're watching right now, give us a thumbs up. It'll make sure other cyclists like you will be able to see it and it'll pop up in their feeds. Uh, we have some extremely important business to take care of first and foremost. Uh, Jonathan, can you just, yeah. It's been weighing on you heavy, Nate. Well, I think all of us, right? Um, as, <laughs> yeah, a, as a nation. I, Steve, <laughs> are, can, you, can you read the question from Steve or the comment, I, I, John? I will. Yeah, it's a submission from listener Steve. He says, as a trainer road user and a full-time professional orchestral clarinetist, I just want to register my eye roll and sigh regarding Nate's comments about playing clarinet versus tuba on last week's episode. The world doesn't need any more jockism even in the form of throwback references to the glory days of his marching band. I love the podcast and I love the app. If you find yourselves in Dallas, please reach out. I'd love to invite you to a concert. I think Nate would be suitably impressed by the breath capacity and control of all of my colleagues in our brass and woodwind sections. Uh, so Nate, as, as, a, as a band jock, uh, as this is declared here, how do you feel? That's a thing. There's a <laughs> lot to unpack here. So first, just the science of this. I wasn't talking about uh, lung capacity. It's about the force in which you expel air, right? I mean, Chad, am I, I getting this Chad right? Just, Chad just tuned out. He just started <laughs> no, no, reading I, the newspaper. I saw him lick <laughs> the finger like he was going to turn the page. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be back when you guys are done. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we were talking about respiratory muscles, so the muscular contraction force. Mm -hmm. And I'd argue that, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how many science back this up, but a tuba player <laughs> expels air at a much faster uh, rate. I did actually start it on clarinet. Um, so Steve, uh, it's not about <laughs> capacity. It's about that. And uh, this brings up a bigger point about the beef between clarinet players and tuba players. Yeah, huge. It goes back a yeah. long time. Oh, I think yeah. it was like 
1884, uh, John Philip Sousa, he had like a, a, a march, I think it was called the Thunderer. And the clarinets were supposed to have the lead, but the tuba players took it over and he actually changed the name to the Thunderer. And ever since then, tuba players and clarinet players have hated each other. The day has lived in infamy in my mind forever. I don't know about you, you know. <laughs> Um, the second part of this is I have never been called a jock in my life, especially as a tuba player and marching man. <laughs> that, that was drumline. In, inside of marching bands, you know, the jocks are drumline. They carry a lot of stuff. Uh, and Amber, you probably, we went to high school together. We did. Was I, was I considered a jock? I don't know. Probably not. No. Yeah. And I think Amber even knew who I was. Uh, that is not true. One, did you say one word to me in high school? I did. Swim team. You didn't even swim on our team because you were too good. <laughs> it's true. It's a true story. Amber swam was in her own lane, right? No, her own pool at another Who's facility all? with all the best with all the best swimmers, right? We were just on it. It was a, it was a different. It was a privately run swim team, and I just got PE credit for doing the work that I was doing on that team. So I didn't do the the training sessions, but we were at all the meets together. Mm. I only went to one meet, so very good. <laughs> Steve, the coach, was like, "You should stay home." So sounds sounds like a jock to me. I want to tell you one more story, and then we'll move Full on. Jock status. <laughs> and so I grew a ton in eighth grade, and I came in freshman year at six foot six. I tried out for the basketball team, and so imagine a kid freshman who's like thirteen wanting to play basketball, and the coach for the Reno High team looked at me and said, "This kid is so bad." There's like. There's no development talent here at all. And I did not make the team. You got, I was the tallest kid in the school at 13 and still they, I did not get picked for the team and there was no raw anything to be able to do it. That's why I like endurance sports. Cause they're just like, go that way. But mm -hmm. it's just, it's just funny to be called a jock now. Uh, <laughs> especially a tuba jock. Like it's hilarious. Awesome. So sorry, Steve, I love you. Uh, band people unite. This is all in good fun. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Steve, if we ever are in Dallas, I would like to hit you up for that concert. Yeah, That'd be so pretty fun. cool. And so. still, uh, too, uh, I was a music major, started out music education for two and a half years in college before I switched. So I feel so you, like, Steve. Certifiably not a jock. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I got you. Don't worry. Uh, okay. But now on to the perhaps less important stuff. The ramp test, the live ramp mm -hmm. test that we just did was last week, or I should say this week. It was on Monday. We did it at 1 p.m. Pacific. From now on, we're going to move them to Tuesdays to give us that standard rest day that most people have on their Mondays. But we are going to do another one in four weeks. Uh, yes, Chad's very excited. Uh, but uh, Chad, do you want to kind of walk us through as a coach and, and as if you including yourself in this as one of the athletes, so to speak, just oh, walk John, us through. There's no sound from you. Oh, there's no sound. Let me see. Yep. Oh, I got this. Don't worry. Got this. Sorry. Sorry, totally everyone. got this. Should we get more band stories? I got one. For, are you We're good, set. John? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's all better. Yeah. Okay. It'll be good Oh, man, on the I was podcast. about to jump in with the, this one time at band camp comment. So I, I just got it in there, though. So we're good. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Chad, uh, okay, so let's go into this. Okay, I think uh, Nate actually typed out the little description. So if we do, can do like a back and forth thing, I can kick it off. He can set up the scenario and then I'll take the coaching in from there. Yeah, so um, uh, what, you want me to, do you want to do a sit chat or you want to Well, go? I was just going to say, so, so my test, there were a couple of things that people wanted us to, to share. Um, one of them was, you know, what, were we in ERG or not uh, in, in resistance mode? Or what was our power meter and uh, 
what trainers were we on? So Nate, you can cover all that. The notes are right there. And then the, the digits, that's just the, the change in Watts and then them as a percentage. Yeah. So one thing I want to cover really quick on the whole erg thing and everything else that that's, um, the reason that we're covering that is just answering a question, not because it's significant to the test outcome at all. Uh, you can test an erg, you can test in resistance, you can test in whatever you want. As long as you do it consistently between tests, that's probably going to give you the best results. Uh, but it's really just a matter of taste and preference, right? So the majority of my training is just a point of curiosity. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So the rest of the stuff is all impactful, but that sort of thing, I just want to clear that up because it's a really common question that we get, but you can, you can perform equally in either one of those scenarios, whether you have ERG or not. ERG doesn't make you faster. It isn't harder. doesn't give you better training, uh, anything like that. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I can't afford one of those expensive smart trainers, it's not like you're at any disadvantage. Uh, when you're talking about structured workouts, you can do the same exact amount of work. So, mm-hmm. And in fact, I do almost all of my training in resistance mode just out of choice. So it's, uh, it's what it is there. Okay, so let me just recap this because people couldn't hear John in the live feed. We are going to go over our live ramp test results Mm -hmm. in each one. We had almost every situation that we get Mm -hmm. asked questions are like the, what was there? Five of us or no, six of us. Mm -hmm. We covered them all, which is kind of crazy. Uh, So, so we're going to go through them. Uh, Chad, I'll start with you. Okay. Let me, let me set this up too. Cause we're going right. to, uh, so, so as, as we've mentioned, we had, we had gainers, we had losers and we covered all the scenarios. So I think losers, be a lot of, a lot of really germane <laughs> takeaways. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so we're going to answer a couple questions too, that Nate posed, uh, personally. One is how do you notice you're doing too much? And then secondly, how long will it take for the losers to get back? And third, <laughs> how do we avoid going into a deep dark hole? So we're going to try to yeah. cover this throughout the course of these scenarios. It's since it's an assessment, how can you lose? They're right. losing lots, losing lots. I feel, like, I feel like we may have heard that from you somewhere. I know. <laughs> uh, maybe. I'll, yeah. A, a note on that really quick. Yeah. Um, th- not rip beers with Chad cause it's not gone. It's just on a hiatus. And it will return for very key and very appropriate times. So my mm-hmm. liver needs a break. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll it'll return. Don't worry. It's just not going to be a weekly thing. So uh, okay, sorry. Carry on. Okay, take it away, Nate. Okay, so first, Chad, uh, Chad, you got a seven watt decrease. And what what was your FTP before, and what did it go to? Two ninety down to two eighty three. Cool. And then for you, you were focusing on different sports, minimal work. Uh, you were doing weightlifting and uh, uh, weight training, I mean, and running. And this is very common, right? Because people say, I want to focus on different sport for a little while. What can I do? So tell us, like, why do you think you went down that much? How much work were you doing? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think I'm managing my fatigue very well, quite simply. I think that between the three things that I'm trying to do, it's kind of, uh, I've, I've had a hard time working a rest day in there because it feels like if I'm doing one thing that doesn't really overlap with the other, I should be able to do this other thing, even though I know that the systemic stress is real and, and, and I do need downtime. So I've added a couple of recovery weeks or I'm sorry, recovery days to each week. We'll see how that goes moving forward. But I do know that I, I was setting up for just about every work feeling a little bit flat but capable. So it's that, it's that line that we talked about where it's it's like, I feel like I can do it today. Maybe I shouldn't, but you get into the workout and you're, you're getting through it. It seems productive. And you know, maybe it is for a couple of workouts, but then it starts to deteriorate. Uh, I don't know if that explains all of my loss. I do think, uh, I haven't been doing enough riding to, to stay where I was at. It was a, it was a bare minimum maintenance plan. 
Yeah. And that's a, that's a big point, right? Like even if you did perfect structure, but didn't have enough volume, there's mm -hmm. still a chance because of you, of your level that you would go down. Yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. Um, is that enough for you, Chad? Yeah. Just to say that I think my limitation at this moment is, is that focus and probably motivation is, are the, are the prime obstacles in that obstacles and that I don't, I don't have an event on the calendar. It, 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 we don't have a date for it. So it's really hard for me to get behind any serious training and my focus is split here three different ways. Yeah. We had swimming to the mix eventually. Then I, I just don't know how I'm even going to make this happen. That's not bad though, to have that drop while you're doing just minimal workouts. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not in, in any way depressed because of the outcome. And if you look at the live stream, Chad's weight training, your shoulders, dude, yeah. were massive. I don't know if you did it right before that, but yeah, I got all there's, the, notice. there's the, the, the rule of thirds, Chad, in, in photography and video is like, you yeah. know, rule of thirds, separating it. Your shoulders are the thirds. They, op they <laughs> occupy the entire thirds. So it's not, it's not intentional. <laughs> Just yeah, let's move on to Jonathan. Jonathan had a 18 watt decrease. And before we get into the reason why, um, John, we said whoever was going to have the biggest decrease was going to shave their head. So why don't just, just to get started, why don't you just run a little thing down the middle of your head so everyone can see it. And then, uh, really? then we'll continue this on the really podcast. Oh what my you, gosh. Did you guys not know? No, I thought it was a joke. I thought I'm, a man, of, I'm a man of my word. Oh that, my yes. goodness. That's for sure. Okay. So I'm going to turn, down, gonna turn down my gain. So then you're not all blown out by a clipper and I'm not going to do the <laughs> center. I'll, I'll do a mohawk no, or something. No, dude, do the center. Then we well, know you're going to finish it. We have to go to a mohawk. So, okay. I, uh, I continue, mm. continue. Okay. So Actually, let's, let's, uh, go through mine. Just do a little bit. This. <laughs> just a teeny, just like two seconds. So we know it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. Don't worry. See, it's coming off. Okay. Right. okay. That was more like a fade, but, uh, what John had is he, he did some training and then he had life got in the way and he did home improvement and he did a ton of what fence building, like I mean, I manual mean, labor. I should have yeah. started a YouTube channel at the beginning of this. Cause it'd have like a ton of views forever because I've done everything you do to a house. So, <laughs> so Chad, what do you think happened with John? Uh, like you said, life intervened. So uh, first off, I want to welcome you to my world, which is the world of home improvement, <laughs> perpetual in my case. Hopefully it won't last for quite as long with you. And just, I, I'd also like to say, if you've never experienced this, then you are a pampered professional, not just a pro writer, but a pampered pro writer who has a soignee, who has a, a cook, who has a masseur. I mean, all these things are handled for you because you can't avoid this situation. It's going to happen to you at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, what Jonathan has working in his favor is that he's got, he's got a, a, lot of, a lot of history and a body that responds really well to training. So he's going to bounce back super fast. And his fitness was already riding a wave when he, when he had to kind of ditch that wave prime, uh, for the moment. Yep. And John, you, you felt, it sounded like you had systemic stress because you said in the ramp test, like you just felt like you couldn't go to as deep as you did before? You said punching like in a dream or underwater? Yeah, yeah, like uh, I, I bet people that are listening to this have felt that where like you feel like your capability is there, but just like in a dream when you're trying to like punch and you can't connect or trying to jump and you can't quite reach that ledge, it was close and I felt like it was there, but I just couldn't exploit it, you know? So uh, probably plenty of things, but I think that this is a really good example of the fact that if I was just to continue with pride and I was to say like, I'm not going to drop my FTP. Right. And I just kept like jump back to jumped back into training. I might've been able to suffer through for a bit, but those workouts would have been really discouraging and I wouldn't have been able to finish the workouts as prescribed. <clears throat> so I think that this highlights something that the ramp test is, is not utilized enough 
for, which is really to give yourself an accurate measure of where you need to be. I mean, that's the goal for every single ramp test. It's not to define yourself. It's not to do anything like that. It's instead to make your training more accurate. So when you come back from something, yeah, you can manually drop down, but you can also do a ramp test. And that's like one of the perks of it. It's not fatiguing, relatively speaking, in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, it's, I, I'm excited because now my training is going to be where it needs to be. I'm starting up next week uh, because we're listing our house this coming weekend. So um, yeah, it's, it's I, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have to shave my head. But other than that, I'm all happy about it. So yeah. So as Chad, as John comes back, uh, what, should, what do you think you should do inside of this training plan? Because we've seen John when he takes time off, he gets like, after like four workouts, he gains like five or 10 watts. Yeah, I think he just past made, experience. I think he just maintains course. I think wherever he exited, he's going to come back pretty close to that. I think. What, what are you doing? I know you're taking a little transition or transitionary sort of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my so nationals is effectively. I don't want to say it's canceled, but from that email, it sure sounds like it's going to be canceled for amateurs at least. And then Downeyville is canceled. That was kind of my plan B that I was going to build toward. So, and, and lots of folks listening to this right now, Leadville's now canceled, Steamboat, Gravel Grinders canceled as well. So um, definitely sad. And a lot of people are probably having to change things around. So I decided that rather than focusing on things or putting hopes on things that I can't control, I'm going to do something maybe a little silly, but I think it's going to be a ton of fun. And the first week of September, I'm going to do a five-day mountain bike stage race. It's going to be something that I can do after work, except for one day is going to be all day. Uh, it starts out, starts out with a prologue and it's all on like trails that I know are going to be minimally populated and safe. Uh, but starts out with a prologue. It'll be about 20 minute, really hard effort after that, a short track. And I don't know what I'm going to do for the short track. Maybe give our three-year-old Simon an air horn. And then every time he hits it, I have to attack myself. I'm not sure, but just to simulate something like that. And then after that, a cross country Olympic race, that'll be like a 90 minute race. And we have a really good location for that. That won't have any people on the trails. And then I'm doing a cross country marathon race the next day that should be around four and a half hours. So that's going to be like, uh, it's basically like if Carson city off road had no limitations on what it could do with crossing highways and that sort of stuff, that's more or less what I'm doing. And then the final day is going to be a hill climb time trial. And it's like, a. I want to say it's a 6,000 foot climb nonstop. So all mountain bike and it goes up to almost, or it goes up to 11,000 feet. So it's going to be my own little stage race. And I basically just use plan builder. I plugged in that stage race and it's not anything that I'll be racing against anybody. But if you're listening to this and you want some sort of a goal, you should put one down at that time too, because it might be fun. Uh, and I just put that on my calendar. Then after that set right into it. So what plan builder has me doing is it had me taking a week of, uh, two weeks of sweet spot base and then going back into build. And instead I guess what I'm doing is basically just going to jump right back into build. Uh, and then, uh, after those two weeks are done, I should be doing those two weeks right now, but house stuff. Uh, so yeah, that's so, kind of where I'm at. So there it is. You basically gave yourself an A event, use plan builder to reconstruct your training and you're just jumping right back in. Yep. Totally. John, what about, uh, Grinduro on September 11th? You could probably do that sounds just like your event. Yeah, it, it really doesn't get me too excited though. I, I, I just, um, it's, I like riding that area. I wouldn't want to ride it on a gravel bike. Like, I don't know. I just, it's okay. It just doesn't excite me. And that's kind of uh, an important thing for us all to remember. Like this year, now that our events are canceled and things are changing, we should ride bikes for why we want to ride bikes. And 
just because if you had some big event and you've always done that big event or you're doing it for some reason other than true like excitement and internal motivation that you have, now's a good time to change it around. And I love nothing more than mountain bike stage racing. So that's what I want to do for this one. So even though I won't be racing anybody, uh, I'm going to come up with different mechanisms to attack myself and make it really hard. So it'll still be an absolute blast. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so let's go start to the next the one. Start the clippers while you guys cover that. <clears throat> I okay. need to turn my gain down so I don't blow everybody's ears out. Uh, next, let's talk about Brandon. Brandon is our resident fast guy. Uh, he's at 5.1 watts per kilo at elevation, so maybe 5.3 or 5.4 at sea level. He had a good solid week, but uh, he gained one uh, watt. <laughs> John's doing it. Uh, if you're on the live stream, Amber, just giggle in the background. Uh, Brandon only gained one watt, so pretty much the same. Although he did get a PR up Geiger yesterday, which is our like our measuring climb here. So Chad, what do you think happened? And Brandon too was a very high level athlete, pro triathlete, yeah. Olympic training center athlete, ran in college. Yeah. So he's a, I mean, he's a five plus watt per kg guy, which from the start tells you that any of his gains are going to be hard fought. Uh, he he basically, I think, I don't know if he buried himself over these last four weeks, but I, from what I understand, it sounds like he was very much on track with what he had been doing. So this is by no means a diversion from that. He wasn't doing a rest week or anything like that. Uh, was this at the tail end of his rest week? No, he did a three on one. He, he did a solid okay. four week block three on okay, one. Cool. Off. Yeah. So, and, and what did that net him at least on the day, only one watt. So really nothing of consequence. So now it's time for him to decide, you know, is he in a holding pattern? Is he kind of peaked? Is he, is he pushing right up against that potential or what else can he change? Can't, does he have the time to add more volume? Can his body handle more stress? Because he's at that kind of that point where any addition of volume could lift the tide or it could sink the ship. So he's, he's on, you know, shaky. Well, now we're in, now we're on ground. So no longer in the water, but he, he has to kind of cautiously play how he moves forward he and he may have i don't know he may have enough history to to base this decision he may know he can handle quite a bit more he may know exactly what's going on so it might be new territory i don't know to give you an idea so brandon was at three point or just under 14 hours per week averaged over four weeks but when he was a pro triathlete he would do more work than that but now he's got a full-time job and stuff so i think that's where chad you're saying he can't just jump back to pro triathlete level of work yeah, exactly. uh, with all this life stress that he has yeah. So, so how those two things combine, I think is going to be pretty informative over the, the coming weeks. Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, as far as the training volume goes, he could totally handle it, but you know, combining that with everything else in life is a totally different yeah. story. And you guys, exactly. if you're not watching the live stream right now, Jonathan <laughs> has it's actually real. been shaving his head this whole time. I feel like I we need some kind there. of narration of this. <laughs> People <amazing>. have uh, <laughs> mixed feelings uh, about it on the uh, live stream. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Jonathan's going to lose his like bike handling skills. It's going to be gone. <laughs> if he stops right here, he and Simon Clark are, couldn't possibly tell him apart. <laughs> okay, let's go to Amber. Amber didn't do barely anything and got a 12-watt increase, <laughs> which is annoying, but I think we, it's justified. So, Chad, what, yeah. what do you think happened here? Yeah. So I, I have a one word reply is duh. I mean, she's, she's been at this for literally years, decades, actually, right? Multiple decades. Has it been 20 I, years? Yeah. So I was thinking chat Amber has uh, worked out probably more than any of us consistently since she was 10 years old. And yeah, exactly. I don't, did you ever take a break? A couple of years after college collegiate swimming. Yeah. Between swimming and cycling, but okay. yeah. even then Still, I was, I was doing stuff. So 40 to 30 hour weeks. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, just exactly. crazy. Yeah. So, so her, her, her body, her physiology is going to be really responsive to training as long as she doesn't overdo it. And as long as she has the motivation that's necessary to, to keep her on a narrow track, then, then she, she skies her skies the limit. So Amber, and, and my, my question for her was simply, and I, I didn't know this going in, but she, she's going to talk to this is, is what's her motivation. I don't know what's driving her right now because that's definitely going to have some influence on how successful she, she is. What is well, it? Brandon and I are teammates for Cape Epic and I'm very, very motivated for that. So anytime I get in a team situation, I want to be the best teammate I could be. So that that's a, that's a big motivator. And then bigger picture, um, you know, I'm not racing full-time anymore. I retire from pro racing, but I really, I just, I love how I feel in my body when I'm fit. Like it's just, it feels good to know that I can, I mean, there've been times when I've been injured and I've not been able to ride. And I just, there's this sensation of like, I just want to go be, be able to do the climbs that I normally can do. I just, you know, I don't need to be at a really high level, but I just want to have like a, a baseline of feeling really, really capable. Um, so I'm really curious and excited to explore how it feels to just be a more well-rounded athlete. So I, now I have time to address some lingering compensations that I've had from previous injuries. I can really get into some general mobility stuff, um, functional movement training other than cycling. So that's all stuff I'm excited to explore. And then I'm also excited just to like, I don't know, focus in on the nurturing and fulfilling aspects of fitness and performance because now I have, there's no fear of failure associated with like a, an annual looming contract deadline. <laughs> and so that, I mean, it's very freeing in a way. So I'm really excited to just like be in that mental space. Um, but part of that is feeling good, feeling good on the bike. So I'm, I'm excited about that. The only failure or fear, fear you should have a failure is about shaving your head. Because obviously <laughs> yeah. this is, this is real. I, I don't I think we should do this anymore. It was a joke, but John was like, yep, we're doing it. Uh, it's just too much integrity <laughs> in this team. Like, it's just... <laughs> Chad will do it. Yeah. I just, just did it. So it, also one thing I wanted to mention with Amber is that uh, she saw substantial Im- improvement as a percentage. It was a substantial improvement, not the biggest one of, of all of us, but a hefty one. Um, she wrote on ERG, she wrote on a, an H3, but she had a dead power meter. So she was just going off H3 power, but mm-hmm. to her credit, she had a dead power meter both times. So <laughs> she's really, really keying in on that consistency, which while I'm on that topic ever brief, ever, ever so briefly, I'd like to talk about both of us. I, I, Nate, were you on a MP1 platform? Cause I was, uh, yep. Were you on it both times? Cause this was a new addition for me. Yep. Oh, no, I, I wasn't. Okay. Did do you feel like that influenced it at all? Because I'm having a heck of a time with the fore aft. It seems like a lot of wasted energy is going into that thing traveling backward and forward. And I'm not saying that that had anything to do with my results so much as it is a there's there's a bit of a learning curve there. I don't know. Okay. Well, point being, <laughs> try to keep things consistent because when you introduce a variable, then you have to wonder did that variable carry any impact? Jonathan is still going strong here. This is still in process, you guys. <laughs> okay, let's go with Pete now. Pete, oh, we're, got we're a, down to Mohawk. Sorry, I just had to say that. We're down to like we're we're at Mohawk stage now. It's looking good, John. Uh, Pete and got then, a. Let, let me say real quick. What so yeah. what we're going to talk about now is kind of a Pete versus Nate comparison, and it's not a Pete versus Nate competitively so much as a they started from the same spot. They have roughly the same body weight. They're uh, didn't you guys test really close to the same last time? No, I was ten watts higher than him. Oh, okay. Okay. But anyway, you guys are similar. You're similar in, in a number of ways. So let's, let's watch what happened to one writer and what happened to the other, but dissimilar in a lot of ways too. 
Uh, sure, so, okay. Sure. So Pete we'll talk about got a too. massive 19 watt increase from 342 to what is that? 359, 360. Yeah. 360 or 361 somewhere in there. I can't do the math. Uh, so that's awesome. He also lost like a bunch of weight. I think he's down to like two or sorry, 190. Uh, he's been eating vegan. Um, he, he looks really good. Lost a lot of body fat. I'm sure some muscle too, but, um, he's getting closer to where he's been. His peak before was 400 watt FTP. And so in Reno, he'd probably have to get a 380 watt FTP score. So he's maybe 20 watts off of his peak. And he did slightly less or maybe the same amount of volume than me. We were doing group workouts together. And although his uh, FTP was 10 watts lower, as he'd do the workout, he'd slowly raise the intensity until he'd do each interval one watt higher than I was doing. Uh, should we cover John or just keep going? Let's keep going. I think uh, it's yeah, fantastic. It's, <laughs> it's got a great mohawk going on. It's about a six inch tall mohawk. I'm going to keep clipping. Pete's, Pete's fast. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with Pete, he's, he's the big winner for this one. He had not only the highest raw watts, but as a percentage, he, he edged out Amber, which is pretty impressive considering I, he's been doing a lot of work. So I guess it's along the lines of what we'd expect. He's not only been doing a lot of work, he's been doing it right. He's been paying attention to how he feels. He's been escalating his training load at a, at a proper rate. Unlike someone we'll talk about soon. And, and it, it worked for him. So this was, a an amount of stress that his body could adapt to and and he nudged it up properly and he was rewarded with a big bump in power again with watts as high as pete's already are this isn't something you're going to consistently see unless you have someone like pete who if you know to put to use the house metaphor has a very high roof and he has a really solid foundation because much like amber he's been doing this for years he's been training consistently he's been maintaining heavy loads he's been racing a lot He's been after this for quite some time. Little bit of ebb and flow, but but mostly, mostly flow. Um, so the can I, can I put that in context for a second? Sure. sure. Uh, so Pete was doing. I think he had like 650 TSS on average, or 600 for the last four weeks. But Pete before has done a whole summer of 800 a week consistently. Yeah. So when he does that, it's good. This is kind of like I. I uh, this is kind of like Amber, although Pete is closer to his ceiling, but he had a whole bunch more structured work. Amber did almost no structured work. And I, I bet you if you had if you had four weeks of structure, Amber, you would have got like a 35 watt increase. It would have been crazy. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so, so yay. Yay, Pete. R- really well done. Um, anecdotally, uh, Nate was telling me a story that Pete relayed to him that uh, once he raised his training by 50%, so we're talking, you know, like 400 to a 600 TSS sort of yeah. trajectory. Okay. Yeah. And his FTP went down during that training phase and, and it stayed low for about four weeks. But then after, uh, after another month, he was as fast as he's ever been. Yeah. So yeah, again, I mean, a testament to the responsiveness of what Pete can handle. It didn't break him down. He actually reemerged from that the fittest he's ever, he's ever been, which I understand why anyone, and in this case, Nate would maybe, maybe want to try this. Was this part of your inspiration, Nate, for the big bump? Nope. He told me that afterwards. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And then just a, a, a final note on Pete is he tested blind. So interestingly, he didn't look at the Watts as, as a carrot. He had no idea where he was. He just pushed as hard as he could. And magically he, he, he well, not magically. I mean, through hard work, he made it well past the point where he was based solely on feel. So no, no data he, input whatsoever. 
actually said the opposite. He said he was going to quit. But when I started calling out how close he was, he kept pushing to be able to get the extra to 360. Okay. So yay group rides. Yeah. (laughs) It it helps to have somebody yell in your face. Um, Okay. And then for me, uh, this is, uh, frustrating. I went through like all these stages, which, uh, I think I should write down of like in my head where I was going to switch to like weight training and stuff, but I did the most training I've ever done. And I got a nine watt decrease. Uh, and I was flying. I was so fast two Thursdays before to give you an example. I was doing in my 15 minute intervals with an attack. What was I doing? I don't know. Three, three forty-five, three fifty. not very hard. Like felt pretty good. I just did something very similar yesterday at three twenty, and it was, it felt the exact same, which is very, very, very annoying. Mm-hmm. So Chad, why don't you break this down for everyone? Cause I'm, I, I know based on questions, I'm not the only person this has happened to. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so first question is, is again, to, with the house metaphor, how high is Nate's roof? Cause we know with, with Brandon, <laughs> with Amber, with Pete, it's up there. Nate, we don't know. He's, he's, he's an unknown quantity. So we're still working this out. We do know that he has a strong foundation. We do know that he can handle hefty training loads because prior to this, he was doing quite a lot of work and he was benefiting from it. His racing was improving. His FTP was going up. These hard workouts were getting completed at, you know, to spec. So he's, he's on a good path. He just overdid this a little bit. And, and I think all he did was he outpaced his ramp rate and you don't have to be so beholden to a ramp rate that, that you self govern too much, but a 50% increase is too high a ramp rate for just about any athlete. I mean, even Pete couldn't tolerate it, at least not for those four weeks. Yeah. And as everyone else knows too, on that third week, I know I was close to like my limit and I had like a bad night's sleep. And then I had, uh, I started eating poorly and then I had more bad night's sleep. And then on a workout where I was like, uh, I don't know if I should do this. I got into it. And then I got in a little competition with Pete and pushed like extra hard. And, uh, then I just fell apart and crumbled and then also on that, then I didn't take enough rest and I tried to get like a Strava KOM. I did everything poorly because I didn't want to, I thought I would like before when this has happened to me, I bounced back pretty quick and I thought I would. It's just the idea of listening to your body. And honestly too, Chad, I'm actually kind of happy this happened because I was doing about 14 hours a week on average. So even with the recovery week, so a little bit more during the work. Mm-hmm. And if I would have got a big boost, I would have gone to like 15 or 16 hours. Sure. But yeah. now I'm, I'm pretty happy to like know that I can't handle that much stress with my current lifestyle to be able to bump it back down. Yeah. So, so the, and that's a good point, your current lifestyle. So you, you've hit a temporary, a temporary limit, you know, and, and it might just be that you escalated things too fast. You might with all your typical life stress, be able to handle this training load just fine. I think you just got there a little too rapidly. Yeah. So what your point is, if, so I was doing like, I think in the low seven hundreds, uh, during my hard weeks, if those would have been, Mm, maybe 600s for a few months and then 625s or 650s and then 700s, maybe this wouldn't have happened to me. Yeah, it's a safer trajectory and it's more conservative and maybe you wouldn't have gotten as fast as fast, but at the same time you run the risk of what happened and you burned yourself out. Okay, so now here's my plan. I'm gonna drop down to high volume and not add anything extra. And now the question is, because this happens to a lot of people, that there's, what should I do? Should I train with my ramp test FTP? That I, that I just scored. And then also, uh, how do I keep myself, or if this happens to people, how do they keep themselves from going into a deep, dark spiral, right? Because two things could happen. I could either bump back up pretty quickly, or I could just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. 
So, so first off, I would stick with your, your newly assessed FTP. I mean, that's information, again, you know, it's a measure of where you're at right now. So for whatever reason, your body isn't capable of performing at the same level that you were performing previously. So leave it there for now. And then just really closely and very honestly, because you are a self-coach writer, so you are your coach, monitor your next few workouts and just decide, you know, this truly feels too easy. I just had a tough day. I'm on the rebound already versus, you know what, I'm going to need to leave my number here for a little while and just kind of ride this out a little more slowly. Yeah. My body needs time. And then, you know, you can decide, you don't have to commit to an entire loading cycle, the, you know, five weeks, if it's in base or three weeks in a, in a build, you can retest whenever you want. You can bump the workouts up whenever you want. Again, it just calls for true honesty on your part. Be, be honest with yourself and, and how you're feeling and how you think you're accommodating or, or uh, dealing with the workouts. Which I understand that's really hard for a lot of athletes, uh, especially mm-hmm. to hold back and look at the whole training plan. And honestly, doing the first couple of workouts, I think the FTP is just right. Like they were cool. hard, but doable. And that yeah. is such a kick in the pants, right? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think what's gonna happen, like Pete said, after a block or after two blocks, I'll get back up. And I've, uh, thank you for everyone else. Um, Steve M being one of them and other people talk about who they've done this big increase in volume and it took a couple months and then like everything came together for their body to absorb it and get used to it. Yeah. This is, this is how you figure stuff out. I mean, Amber back me up on that. I'm, I'm sure oh, yeah. Jonathan too, you guys can relate. Yeah. You have to, you have to dig a hole, you know, to get that super compensation and you have to just try, like sometimes you have to dig a little bit too deep a hole and realize that that's, that's too much. Um, I think there was a Bjarne Reese quote, something not along the lines of, you don't know how tight you can screw a screw until you break it. I mean, you try it and then, you know, you learn from it. So I think this is a great learning process because now you have really clearly in your mind what those sensations were, what those kind of red flags were that were warning you that you were doing too much. And this is all of it nonetheless is money in the bank. And so giving yourself a little bit of a lower FTP now, you know, according to the RAM test, moving forward with that, you're going to give your body more of a chance to adapt and super compensate again. So I have no doubt that you're going to end up ultimately with a big bump. It's just going to take a little while. You know, your body is in the process of adapting to this really high load. And that process means that the progress that you see on a daily basis is not going to be linear. (laughs) I'll go back to that one again. It's not a linear Mm -hmm. process, right? So this is just like, you can think of it as like taking a step back to get a running start. And uh, some people might be like, oh, Nate, that was so foolish to do what you did. But this was by design because we have no races right now. And I've never pushed myself that hard. And I get to sleep in longer right now because I can just wake up at 745 and open my, you guys have seen it. I I do my (laughs) meeting in bed. I just wake up. Uh, And uh, so if if there's any time in my life to be able to play with how much volume I can do, this Mm -hmm. is a great time to do it. John, um, are you cold? It's a well-timed misstep. Right. It is cold. Yeah, it's not. I lost my ability to podcast, actually. You got a good head, though. I was worried. I, I thought you might be lumpy from mountain bike crashes or whatever. You got a nice round head. Actually, somebody was saying, Chad, I have I have a clean, mind you, clean, brand new bag uh, trash bin by me, and there's so much hair in here. So they actually recommended that I make a wig for you, and then you can wear my hair. <laughs> I might actually wear it just because that's Don, hilarious. your wife told me, too, that, like, when you shave your head, you look mean and people at yeah. like the grocery store look the other way. I yeah, see yeah. it. Do you guys see it? Like John yeah. looks mean. 
Is this yeah. mean, John? You, you look angry, all, like yeah. on the live stream. I can't see yeah. John being mean at all. I just can't. Wait, I know, but when you're not just smiling, Ray spikes with me, Amber. There we go. It looks like you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> like we shouldn't talk to you. I know. I I have lost my ability to podcast. I can't ride a bike. Everything else, the hair. Imagine if Pete was the biggest was the the biggest reduction in watts on this one. Pete would have had to have shaved his head. <laughs> my goodness. Ooh. Yeah. The Norse God himself. So, um, one thing I was going to add, Nate, like you're saying right now for people to take this time as a time to experiment and try something new. This is such a huge opportunity. Chances are you aren't going to get something exactly like this again. You can, uh, that said, you can always choose to do it. You can say, Hey, look, I'm just not going to race this spring or I'm not going to race this summer or something. And you can do this, but right now everybody has this opportunity. Like we should be taking advantage of it to try something new. If we do that, we'll probably learn something about ourselves as an athlete. We may not get faster, but I guarantee you the knowledge that you'll have will enable you to get faster. So, cause that's like the biggest thing with training. Um, some athletes like professional athletes, you know, they'll have entire teams of scientists dedicated to making them faster and they'll try just look at every possible angle, a 360 degree perspective on an athlete. For most of us, we have other demands and other things going on in our lives that don't allow us to take that sort of a comprehensive look. But right now, at least is a good opportunity for you to look at it from a different perspective. So give it a shot. Uh, triathletes, try the crit plan. Uh, crit riders, try something that is going to be long, steady distance, you know, mm -hmm. like something that's like the 40K TT plan or something. It's going to make you at least figure something out about yourself. Right, Amber? Totally. And I just, one of the things that we've talked about before is, you know, we talk a lot about the dangers of overreaching and the dangers of overtraining. So overreaching is very, very different from overtraining and it's a matter of severity, but also duration. So what Nate's done here is experimented, taken it a step too far, realized that, but what's happening is because you ramp tested and the, you know, the ramp test revealed that you've dug a very, very deep hole. It's going to adjust your FTP so that the work you're doing now, like you said, it feels challenging, but manageable. So by, by re, you know, by retesting, you're actually dialing back a little bit, which is going to, which is basically going to protect you from doing too much. And so I just, I just kind of want to step back and acknowledge that we've talked about there are cases where if you continue to push really hard, you don't dial it back and you just keep on going, you can go from overreaching to overtraining and that that overtraining syndrome, that can be pretty severe. I mean, that can have really serious hormonal consequences and that can take months to years to recover from. But what Nate's doing is very different from that. He enabled it. He gave himself an opportunity to overreach knowing that if this proved to be a mistake, there was plenty of time to come back from it. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. And this is not something that we would necessarily suggest for anybody in the middle of a race season where you don't have time to, you know, you don't have any buffer if you make that mistake, but there's a big difference here between the overreaching and the overtraining. And I just want to make sure that we point that out. So a bad thing that I could do is, uh, for these next workouts, if I start failing a bunch of them, or I could have came in and been like, you know what? I was probably at 360 before but my workouts at the end. So I'm just going to put it there and then start struggling and struggling and have all of my training be struggling and get worse and worse and worse. That's right. where I should probably just turn the lights off, have full week or two off and come back. Exactly. <clears throat> I wanted to mention and that too. So if you get into these early workouts and, and with this lowered FTP, you're still flat and you're still having a hard time getting through them. That's the, that's the telltale sign that even, even with the lower FTP, your, your body needs more recovery than that. 
Mm-hmm. And you didn't let your ego get in the way, you know, and you went ahead and adjusted your FTP accordingly. And that's really, really important. It'd be a shame if ego got in the way of you getting faster. Right. And like, but it happens all the time. Yeah. And, and this is yeah. a great opportunity for us to step back and look at our performance objectively and just say, Hey, this is all about anchoring my training to the best point. It's right. not about making myself, you know, feel better because of, of a bigger number. Yeah. Today is broken finger plus one, which is Ooh, a tough one of the hardest. Yeah, exactly. So I just have to keep that in my mind that even if that one's tough, it's going to be tough for everybody, even if they're right. fresh. Yeah. Oh, Some yeah. workouts so are just true. really hard. So if we circle back to the initial questions, let's, let's um, answer them a little more succinctly. So ha- first off, how do you notice when you think you're doing too much? I think the best indicator is mood. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have a sour mood from day to day, but if you have too many flat days in a row and your motivation is waning, and this is a consistent thing, I think that's probably the best indicator that, that you're doing a little too much or, or ramping things a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Nate asks, how long do you think it will take to, to get back? And this depends really on two things, both your training history and the severity of your overreach. So if you've got a big history upon, you know, which you've built this level of fitness, that's one thing. If you're new to training, that's entirely another. And then how far you overreach. Nate nipped it in the bud. He caught it pretty early and he's, he's taking steps to fix things right now, rather than what we just described, pushing forward regardless. And then finally, uh, how do we avoid going into a deep, dark hole? I think most of that is based on experience uh, and that experience is either older or newly acquired. So it can be based on historical you know, learnings. It can be something that you just now figured out like, like Nate did. And then metrics are, are valuable. You know, you can't solely rely on them. You have to pay attention to the subjective as well, but ramp rates and TSS loads, you, they're, they're useful tools. Absolutely. And finally, listen to your body. It's, it's straightforward and it sounds cliche and it is cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. And, I, and on that note, as much as I would like to say there are reliable recovery metrics out there, I'm still struggling to find one that I can rely on closely enough. I've been using a device that, that measures heart rate as I sleep. It's given me sleep quality feedback and, and duration and tells me if I'm snoring, tells me what my heart rate variability is, tells me what my waking rate is, tells me how it trends over the evening. And man, I, I can't make any useful sense of this stuff because it hasn't correlated in, in any useful manner to, to how I feel and, and the workouts that I can do on the day. So as much as I'd like to say, you can tell if you're recovered and ready to go by using such and such device, still working on that one. Chad, if I could, so I have three things really quick. And then, and the last thing will transition us into the next section, if that's okay. Uh, the, the first point is to totally back you up on that. And the thing that I want everybody listening to this, that's using some sort of uh, recovery tracking device. I'm not saying none of them work but I am saying that it's very easy to become influenced by them. And as a result, our perception totally changes as a, like, you know, it, so something says that you're green for the day, that you're good to go. So you're good to go. And you tell yourself you're good to go. There's a lot of power in just telling yourself that you're good to go. And on the other side of things, there's a lot of power in telling yourself that you're not good to go. And it can have a profound impact on your training when maybe it's actually just a bad measurement, or maybe that data isn't a true governor on your performance. So whatever data we have, we always have to be objective with it. And that's definitely the case with recovery data because we're still, there's still a lot of leaps being taken to try to connect those to performance. So that's point number one. Point number two, something to point out that I think a lot of people miss with my training. uh, So I, I really hardly rode the bike at all. 
uh, for three weeks almost. And in that period of time, I still did like two mountain bike rides a week. And they were like, I, I would pedal hard. I would do all that stuff. That's a super good example of what happens to a lot of people when they go into the summertime and they say, oh no, I'm done with structured training. Then they do like, when they ride, they ride hard. And, but then after a while, when, when some sort of measurement point comes up, whether it's riding with your friends, whether it's a time up a certain hill, something like that, or a race, we're always shocked. We shouldn't be, but we're always shocked at the fact of how much fitness we lost. And for me, building up into that, I had consistent training. And once you get up on the wave, for me personally, I really start to ride that wave. And I start to improve and improve and improve, and it keeps going. So for me, I was riding that wave. And then I just, I kind of did the normal summertime drop-off where you just ride kind of like how you want. And that was proof to me of the fact that it doesn't take a long time to see you for yourself completely drop off that wave. So uh, remember that. If you're thinking of stopping with structure, you don't need a ton of structure. If you do three intentionally structured rides a week, even you can get a ton of value out of that, but, uh, don't do it and then expect to come back at the same level. It just doesn't happen. Um, it's just how it works. Uh, the final point here is that on the ramp test, I'm sure that if I had done the, if I was doing that ramp test, so or first of all, I wouldn't have done that ramp test, right? I would have just kind of guessed and gone through and probably let my ego drive. But instead, because of group workouts, I did that ramp test. And I think that group workouts is a hugely important thing for everybody listening to this because it provides that accountability partner where you have to be accountable to somebody else to show up and to get it done. So it was hugely helpful for me. And as a result, now my training is going to be better because I did that. So uh, it's just a uh, use group workouts really helps. Kind of on that note, as far as the ramp test goes, this is two times in a row I've had to do it on a Monday and Mondays are far and away my hardest day because the weekends are always taxing in one form or another. So I come into Monday as part of it often enough. <laughs> Those that weren't listening to the podcast, they just did a drinking sign. So, yeah. So, so my thinking, but, but I know from actual data is I'm probably not going to be able to do as well as I could do but I know that I can. And really what I found two times in a row now is that it's, you dread it a little more. The earlier minutes are a little tougher because the fatigue seeps them out a little earlier, but I reach the same point. Your body can only do what it can do. Even if your mind's not fully behind it, we're talking mm -hmm. a couple minutes of high level effort. You can get there regardless. I mean, yeah. a little bit flat is not an excuse to not do the ramp test. You're still going to get good data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I couldn't uh, agree John more. Can we just do a quick uh, update on group workouts? Please. Yes, that I'll would be fast. fantastic. Go ahead, Nate. Okay. We got a new release that went out yesterday. You can have 11 athletes in a workout now. That is because we have a brand new audio and video system that uses less network and less CPU uh, and GPU, which is really nice. So if you have an older computer, everything will work better. Um, you have to, though, have your updated client and it will warn you in order for that to happen. So if you have any issues with it, just go to trainer.com slash download. It should update yourself um, when you just have update itself when you open the app. Also, we added custom workout support. So if you have a custom workout created via our workout creator, if other people join that workout, they will also get access to that custom workout automatically, which is really cool. And if you are a coached athlete or you have a special, if you're in a group or something and you have special workouts on a team, you can share those now with people. And we also have the ability where the host can mute, remove, and anyone can report an athlete. Um, the report, we don't have any problems with reported athlete, but we thought it would just be in there. I reported uh, Brandon for making fun of Pete. 
Uh, don't do funny stuff like that. That was just to test the system. Um, but the mute thing is nice because sometimes people walk away or people don't realize they have a very loud uh, computer set up and then you can mute someone and just let them know and it's, it's nice. So that is the update for group workouts available now on Mac and PC. One last thing, iOS, we are an Android, we're working on it. You'll see the app release with a whole bunch of new features. And then uh, after that is released, the next release after that, besides bug fixes, will be group workouts. It's super, super nice, by the way. Like the the new app, it's awesome on iOS and Android. So we've been using it here, testing it internally and everything else. And man, it's great. So uh, lots of constant improvement. Should we get in? First of all, if you're in YouTube, the, the comments are fantastic, by the way, in YouTube. So <laughs> I think Nate's getting, uh, Nate, I saw that you're going to be reported for cruel labor practices, apparently. for, And that was mentioned by somebody with a receding hairline for making me shave my hair. So I shave my hair. Your hairline's okay. great, John. Yeah, yeah, still good. Still good, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's go into Robert's question. So, he says, and we had a similar question to this, but this is slightly different. Uh, and as a result, the answer is going to be very different in terms of what we cover here. So he says, hey, coaches, a somewhat emerging topic in running circles recently is on workout structure, specifically what, that one should be mixing different training intensities in a single workout versus training in just one zone on the day. An example in a cycling context might be starting with some sweet spot, but not as much as you would during a pure sweet spot workout followed by some VO2 reps and ending with perhaps some low cadence, high gear, short hill sprints is someone. And he, he asks, is someone shortchanging themselves by not dedicating the entirety of a workout to a specific zone? Love the podcast and everything you all do. Chad, this one, uh, kick it off. Okay. So Robert, yeah, the, to restate your question, I think you're asking why would we dedicate an entire workout to a single energy system or a power level? And that's basically what's happening because power levels are just ranges of power that ideally target a particular energy system, even though there's going to be plenty of overlap. There, there always will be. Um, so the short answer is if the, the training stimulus or the adaptive signal isn't great enough, then the training adaptation is not going to take place or it'll be minimal. So both mixing of workout demands and isolating them makes sense just under different contexts. So the question then becomes, <clears throat> it, it really just depends on the time of season. Is, is the intent to minimize any interference effect? So you're basically focusing on a particular adaptation or adaptations, or is it to emulate race demands? Are you trying to put it all together, adaptations aside? So what, what, what do I mean by interference effect? Um, if we relate this back to strength versus endurance, and we've talked a number of times about this and how the two play or don't play well together, sometimes we put it in terms of mTOR versus AMPK, but you can see it even more simply if you just look at it as anabolic versus catabolic. You know, are we trying to build muscle or are we trying to break down energy stores? Those are two very different signals, and we can't send them at once and expect the body to respond in two different ways. So this discussion with mTOR and AMPK is, is a quintessential example of the interference interference effect. And that's down at the signaling level. So let's instead take a higher view and look at the muscle fibers. And do note that this translates to so many other systems in the body, cardiovascular, the cardiopulmonary respiratory, uh, or like, like the organelles within each muscle fiber, the enzymes, the proteins. So it has systemic effects, but we're going to look narrowly at the muscles. So pretty simply, or basically, we, we need to establish a foundation for each energy system. And to effectively establish it requires focus. We need to minimize interference as much as possible. So this brings us to a couple takeaways already. 
First, establishment of an energy system's capabilities requires greater focus than maintaining it. And we've talked about how easy it is to maintain it, relatively speaking. Second takeaway is that certain effects run counter to other effects. And, and when you mix these training signals or stimuli, you just don't deliver enough challenge to any one energy system to bring about the adaptation you're looking for. It's simply too dilute. So let me give you three examples of unfavorable mixed training. This is basically energy systems that don't play nice together. So if you were to do sprints before anaerobic power repeats, they're too similar in terms of fiber recruitment. And that means the height of the anaerobic work that comes after the sprints is going to be too blunted because the, the muscles are too cooked. And that workload is going to shift to the wrong or really lower level muscle fibers. And the high force that you're targeting won't be addressed, at least not as well as it could be. Another example would be if you combine VO2 max work with aerobic endurance work in between the efforts instead of full recovery. So for instance, you ride at 60% between these VO2 repeats instead of 50 or 40. And what happens is... <laughs> Sounds like a yeah, worse well, nightmare, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> in between your VO2 max intervals, ride at 60%. Oh my gosh, I'd die. And that's, that's really why you won't see that workout out there too. Because the, the VO2 quality or really the breathing stress, this, this sought after... Uh, heightened oxygen consumption and therefore the adaptive stimulus that we're targeting falls off fast and hard interval after interval after interval so again not a productive combination and then finally long slow distance or really just long bouts of aerobic endurance 60 percent sort of stuff before muscle endurance which is you know sweet spot or, or threshold training the the sweet spot training or the muscle endurance training has a hefty aerobic component so if you cook those fibers prior to doing, to, to, to targeting those fibers, you're in for a miserable and probably less productive uh, sweet spot workout or threshold mm -hmm. workout because the accumulated fatigue is going to impact the quality of that harder work. It's, it's kind of like, it's very akin to actually going into a workout low on sugar or running out sugar in the midst of a sweet spot workout. You just don't have the gas. Okay, so those are unfavorable mixed training. So let's look at the other side of that, which is the, the complementary effects. In this case, we're minimizing the interference by mixing what I refer to as play nice energy systems. So yes, there is some interference. We're not targeting any one thing in particular, but they actually work pretty well together. One example is sprints during an aerobic endurance ride. And the beauty of these is that they can be done at different points all along the ride. If you do them at the end, you're, you're kind of targeting fatigue across fiber types. You've, you've done the long slow work, so you've already cooked the slow twitch fibers. Now you're going to hit the fast twitch fibers, call it a day. If you do them at the beginning, you can benefit from not only fresh muscles, which probably means better sprints, but it also lives, uh, can, can include something called nerve potentiation, which really simply is just stronger nerve impulses in the nerves that you previously used. So effectively, the, the nervous system is working better because you woke it up. And then if you do them in the middle, you know, it's just kind of a, a bit of both, right? But in all cases, you get a race or event specificity and, and all sorts of learning opportunities. Figure stuff out. When the sprints work for you, how hard is too hard, how many can I do, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of information to be gleaned. Uh, another example will be VO2 max work with steady state work instead of recovery, though the recovery comes eventually. So basically what I'm talking about are those reduced amplitude billouts where you work at 120 and you recover. You don't recover, but you, you float at 88%. And the benefit there is with, with this particular combination is you get a really high level of oxygen, oxygen consumption and it stays high over the course of that entire interval. Much higher than it would if you were to recover. If you were to do two minutes on, three minutes on, and then take a two or three minute rest, 
Not to mention these two can be really event specific. And that's why you'll see these largely in the specialty plans, maybe entirely. And then final example would be doing aerobic endurance after muscle endurance. So like uh, doing, doing a sweet spot workout followed by 30 minutes riding at 60%. And this is a popular combination. And, and with it, the, the muscle endurance isn't likely enough or isn't likely to thoroughly stress your more aerobic fibers, your slow switch fibers. And this leaves them less fatigued and is insufficiently stimulated, meaning that the training stimulus didn't reach a level where it inspired adaptation in those particular fibers. So you add on some extra low intensity work and you address those fibers when you're already partway there. So the big takeaway here is that mixing the workout demands can be done effectively, but it's never going to be as concentrated as isolating them. But that's totally okay because training gradually shifts from establishment to race specificity as we move closer to our events. To, to put it another way, we're favoring application over acquisition. We effectively acquire, then we can apply these well-developed capabilities. Right. I think we, we were talking about this before. We had the, the analogy was if you're forging and then sharpening a blade, there's a difference mm -hmm. between forging the blade, sharpening the blade, and then there's a difference between those two things and actually using the blade. And so it's when you're, when you're building out this, these, each of these systems, that's the forging of the blade. And then as you, you kind of create them in combinations, that's the sharpening. And then when you're actually on race day, that's when you're applying Utilize. everything that you've created and sharpened. Exactly. Uh, there are examples of this too, like in the workout catalog with trainer road and thinking of like Baird plus six, for example, where you'll be doing VO two max intervals. And then after the VO two max intervals are done, you'll recover plenty between those. It'll be low intensity, but then after those are done, you'll carry on with some 60% work for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, and there, there are other examples too, where, where it's, where it's utilized like this all well, throughout. This, this whole uh, level of organization and this, this movement through the, 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 trainer roads build based specialty cycle is actually a really good demonstration of everything I just talked about. So let me run through that pretty quickly. If you look at sweet space, sweet spot base one, it sticks super closely to just muscle endurance work. There's very little else because we're isolating and targeting the, the muscle endurance or the strength endurance. So minimizing interference, then you get to sweet spot two. And we start, to, I, I start to weave in mixed demand workouts and they'll happen in each week and they'll even happen in some workouts where the demands with, with, within the workout are a little bit varied, complementary, ideally. Mm -hmm. And then you, if you take a look at sweet spot-based high volume, this is, a, this is an exception though, because this is an example of targeting high-level muscle endurance. We're trying to avoid all possible interference effects. Reason being is some riders have really high levels of muscle endurance, or they know from past experience that they, have, they can accommodate high levels of muscle endurance work, and they need a more concentrated stream, uh, training stimulus stimulus. And Brandon's the perfect example of this. I mean, he buried himself for four weeks, worked out diligently and it yielded a watt. So he's obviously got a high tolerance for certain kinds of work. We're going to have to figure out, he's going to have to figure out how to change that so that he can get even more powerful, even faster. Then when you move to the build plans, these are actually a really good demonstration of that gradual shift I'm talking about where you minimize, where minimizing of interference has to start balancing with your more race specific or event specific demands. And if you look at the short and sustained builds, these remain a bit more focused because their end games, their events are a little more focused in terms of the relied upon energy systems. Whereas with general build, it's more mixed because overall improvement is more important than emphasizing short power over sustained power or vice versa. 
And then finally, it, when, once you get to the specialty plans, this is where you'll see all sorts of variants or varied degrees of uh, this mixed energy system contribution. And the road specialties in particular encapsulate this perfectly. Rolling road race, you'll see almost every imaginable combo. Some plain ice combos, but also some products of how complex rolling road races are and maybe not ideal in adaptive effect, but really applicable in terms of race, actual racing. Climbing road race, a little less varied, so slightly fewer combo workouts. Crit, you'll see at least two plain ice energy system combinations in every single workout. And then a mixed bag workout where I throw everything at you because that's what races do. That's what criteriums do. And finally, time trials. And, and that's all muscle endurance because time trialing. I mean, you, you either work a little above, a little below, a little right at FTP, but time trial specialists are very unidimensional. So they can remain highly focused. They, they have a very little level of interference effects, but they're also limited in terms of their capability. They do, they do one thing really well, but everything else isn't a concern. So that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that we may have just lost Amber. Hopefully she yeah, comes back here soon. Uh, she dropped out. Hopefully uh, send me a message if you need help getting back in Amber and we'll, we'll make it happen. So, um, and I'll, I'll, you're probably on the live stream also seeing a clipped version of Chad and Nate. I'm just going to leave it for just a bit here unless Amber can't make it back in for one reason or another. So, uh, okay. Uh, Amber has been having crazy weather there. So that may have been the case. One thing I want to touch on with this chat is that <clears throat> for athletes that are dealing with it, I guess I uh, actually kind of to recap a lot of temptation probably exists for a person to just train a little bit of everything every day. But the main reason that you don't want to do that is because in order to make the improvements you want, you really have to stress things significantly and specifically, right? And specific energy systems to do so. Yeah. You'll quickly reach a point where all those things are basically as good as they're going to get because you're not heaping any extra demand on any of them. Right. Two, two analogies that I have on this is one, you see this in weight training a lot where people will do full body workouts they'll get to a certain point and then they're like, actually, I need to move to a push pull legs kind of thing or really hit a certain body part with more volume in order for it to grow. And I think that happens the same exactly what we were saying in cycling, Chad. And two, you also see this with people who do a lot of group rides. Uh, They get tired, but they don't necessarily get more fit, right? At first they get more fit and then they come join us. They get just as tired, but because they're doing structure and really hitting those energy systems, they get to a whole new level. Um, yeah, perfect. and that's, that's, that's something too, that happens to a lot of people. Like you think, Oh, if I'm just really tired, I'm, I'm getting faster, which isn't always the case. And I have some really good news. Amber is back. And the next question <laughs> is all about Amber. <laughs> one quick thing to really add to that. This is, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people that don't do structured training, they always get their butt kicked by that one climb or it's always hard to do that one specific thing in, in any sort of ride. And it's because you aren't stressing the energy systems that define success in that specific moment. And that's, <clears throat> so like a lot of people, mountain bikers in particular, I'm thinking of, <clears throat> forgive me. They're like, Oh man, I like they, they do their normal Saturday ride. And there's that one climb on that Saturday and it's super hard. And whatever the profile is like, you can train the energy systems that are utilized on that sort of profile but because they don't, and if they just ride more, it's tougher to actually get faster at it. You're getting specificity, but you're not actually building the sort of things that are going to make you successful in that specific moment. It's, it's just like, you know, if you watch any sort of like, uh, if you, if you are into blacksmithing or anything else like that, and you watch any blacksmith work, they don't, 
It's actually fascinating. Nate's looking sideways. It's fascinating, man. Blacksmithing is super cool. Um, watch this. Am I am I making myself a nerd here? Go onto YouTube few, and look. A few up hours a night, yeah. every night, just watch people. Bam, bam, bam. Hey, you've got a you've got a TikTok addiction, so you can't talk very much here. So, but don't compare I'll, my TikTok to blacksmithing. It's I don't even know. The point is, they don't bother with sharpening anything until the very, very end, like very, very end. So when you're just trying thinking that, well, if I just repeat something and just do something over and over, I'll get better at that. Yes, you will get better within a very tight realm of, 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 of improvement, so to speak. If you want to expand that and actually truly improve your capabilities, you can't just repeat the same thing. You have to focus on the very things that define success in that moment, which is that's why we do structured training. I've often thought that people might get like, you can get lucky with how fast you can get depending on what your terrain is like. Like if you had a course that had maybe three minute climbs with three minute descents and like, like you could do five of those. And then you had another course where you had like a 20 minute climb and a five minute descent, a 20 minute climb. And you could just kind of randomly build in like threshold workouts, sweet spot workouts and VO two max workouts, because your climbs were just the right amount of time that it took you. But as you get faster than the time changes, rather than how most of us do is you it's it's very sporadic right and it's you're going really hard for a second and then you're not easy then you go a long climb and you know it's just a, it's kind of what you're saying chad a kitchen sink workout mm -hmm. uh, that happens um but I, I bet there's somebody out there somewhere that has just the perfect terrain and they're just naturally doing to structural training spaces. yeah on accident right it's got it's, it has to have happened to somebody yeah. so, something to add to that though is that you know properly structured training also is progressive Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. so even though you may be doing something that's like a cer certain set of intervals, that's like doing the same workout every single day and expecting yeah. an improvement yeah. beyond that. Yeah. The time gets shorter because the hill gets less time because you go up faster. That too. Right. So, and what you really need, if you're talking about, you know, structured training is you need to spend more time and, or shrink those rests, one of the two, uh, or change up the structure in one way or another to change the stimulus to bump that needle up. So, yep. and, and I, I do want to use this topic to to caution a certain, maybe even pick on a bit, a certain subset of riders or coaches that I see this happen on coaching platforms with coaches, with riders, with cherry pickers of workouts where they make workouts hard just for the sake of being hard. And it, it it's a tough thing for me to stomach as a coach and just a, an analytic bike rider because it's not effective training, not, not usually, maybe not ever. And to go back to the, the blade analogy, you're, you're forging a weak blade. Mm -hmm. It never gets sharp and it sucks in battle. You, you can't utilize it. It's just not good at anything. Yeah. Amen, Chad. All this totally stuff is agree. making much more sense now, <laughs> by the way. I think it's because the shaved head are more akin to Chad. So Chad's <laughs> just making perfect sense. Oh, Amber dropped out again. Hopefully she can come back. She said that she's having her computer saying system overload. So that's Ooh. that's scary. Um, she'll jump back soon, I'm sure. Okay. Um, let's skip into the next question beyond that next one because Amber's going to nail that one. So yeah. um, let's skip into Eugene's question. He says, why is my friend able to deliver higher Watts for a far lower heart rate than me? And he mentions he's at about 236 Watts at 116 beats per minute while I'm averaging 160 beats per minute at the same wattage. So the reason that I threw this in here is we get so many questions yes. about heart rate, like so many of them, and we don't address all of them just because it's uh, we've addressed it in, in a number of different capacities before. 
but there's a ton of them. Nate, do you want to jump in on something with this? I just want to say I, I, t- the answer to this to some of you will be like very obvious, but because we get so many questions on this, we wanted to answer it. And yeah. maybe too, with what, what Chad says, you, you'll learn something, but uh, not everyone ha- who listens to the podcast has the same understanding of this. And it's important to get this on record. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I was banking on a little bit of recovery before I launched into another deep dive, but here goes Eugene. So I think to, to sum it up, your question is quite simply, why doesn't heart rate consistently correlate with power output? And super short answer in, in your case is that your friend's probably fitter than you. Uh, the problem is, is that doesn't necessarily translate to faster. Okay. So, so the short answer, not the super short is that how your heart rate relates to power not only varies between riders, but it can even vary within the same rider. And this can be explained by things like training adaptation. Of course, Uh, it can be due to a number of temporary factors that affect heart rate. Think sleep, uh, dehydration, caffeine, ingestion, blood donation can have an impact fatigue level or level of recovery, call it whichever you like, but, but it's a long list. So a number of things that impact heart rate might not impact your ability to create power. And it's for this very reason that training strictly by power poses a number of challenges that you probably won't face if you couple heart rate with power data. And ideally, you ask me, you'll, you'll lump RPE, or your rating of perceived exertion into that whole picture and portray a much clearer picture of what's going on with your body. You know, basically combine the objective with the subjective. But um, that's, a, that's a little off topic. So what are some of the causes for all these differences and changes in heart rate? And I, and I want to approach this question from the angle of the cardio system or really systems. So there's the cardiorespiratory and the, which is sometimes cardiopulmonary. I honestly don't know if there's a difference and the cardiovascular system. So really the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, and of course the actual blood in circulation. And these can all explain one writer's heart rate being vastly different from another's and, and, and also how your heart rate can change as you get fitter and faster. So each of these components of your cardio system can undergo training related changes and we can achieve them in supplemental ways like uh, altitude training or heat training, that sort of thing. But we're going to limit this discussion strictly to the more typical training. So either riding indoors on your trainer or on rollers or riding outdoors in your usual outdoor environment. So nothing out of the ordinary, nothing like a training camp or an altitude camp or anything like that. So through regular structured training that progresses at a productively challenging rate, rests you on a normal basis, um, you assess, reassess your capabilities at normal intervals, uh, we can bring about all sorts of changes to the body. And this includes more than just the muscles. You know, we're also seeing adaptive changes in the heart and the lungs and the blood vessels and the blood, as I referred to earlier. So the three, let's call them levels of adaptation that I, I see as having arguably the greatest impact on heart rate are the size and strength of your left ventricle. And this is one of the four chambers of the heart that pumps oxygenated blood out to the body. So out to the muscles in, in our context. Uh, secondly is the hemoglobin and the red blood cell content of our blood. So basically just a couple components of the blood that carry oxygen to our aerobically inclined muscles. And finally, the mitochondria. So within each muscle cell where the oxygen is actually utilized to turn over energy, or, or as I like to describe it, make, break, and remake ATP. So all of these things we can influence with endurance, tra- endurance training. So if we take a really simplistic look at this, start with the, the left ventricle. The, the heart can pump so much blood, and it's a matter of a couple of the left ventricle's capabilities. First, it's filling capacity, 
which has to do with its size, and then its ejection fraction, which kind of has to do with the strength or really how much of the blood inside it it can clear out with each contraction. And, and that word right there, contraction, it tells you we're dealing with muscle. Yes, cardiac muscle in this case, but cardiac muscle can experience hypertrophy. So similar in some ways to how skeletal muscle can increase cross-sectional area of each muscle fiber. But in cardiac tissue, it's more about enlargement for, uh, of the compartment and then thickening of the actual cardiac wall. So again, kind of a size and strength sort of, sort of deal. So now every time your heart beats, pushes out blood. And, and how much depends on, on these two things. And that's referred to your stroke volume. And then when you simply multiply stroke volume times beats per minute, you get your cardiac output. And this is simply the, the total amount of blood you push into circulation over a minute's time. And if you can push more blood, your heart doesn't have to beat as many times per minute to do the same amount of work or generate the same amount of watts as someone with lower cardiac output, you know, a weaker or a smaller left ventricle or a lower ejection fraction. So quick recap at this point is, is that the, the bigger the heart chamber has or the bigger the heart chamber is, there's more room to stock up on oxygenated blood and the more strength to pump that blood out to the muscles. This requires less heartbeats per minute as you become fitter. This is going to be a recurring theme. So next up is the hemoglobin and the red blood cells. So we're talking about the blood itself now. With more hemoglobin, we can bind more oxygen, and that means greater delivery capacity to the muscle. With more red blood cells, this, this also means greater O2 delivery to our working muscles. And then when you combine the two, more hemoglobin in more red blood cells, it's pretty easy to see how we're basically setting the stage for greater and greater aerobic work capacity. Also, it's becoming pretty clear how the heart can beat fewer times while still delivering big quantities of oxygen. And in, you know, in doing so, lowering heart rate at that same power output, the very same power output that used to require more heartbeats because the blood just wasn't bringing as much oxygen as it is now. So to recap that, a combination of changes to your blood, both brought about via endurance training, means more oxygen gets pushed to the muscle and also means less heartbeats are required per minute as you get fitter. And then finally, let's look at the mitochondria. And it's worth mentioning that there are a whole lot of ways, a lot of factors and adaptations we could look at, but I've limited this particular list to just these three heavy hitters. So once all this blood, think left ventricle and the oxygen it carries, think hemoglobin and red blood cells makes it to the muscles, has to be picked up and utilized. And here too, so many things taking place, but we'll just, we're just going to skip to where the oxygen actually reaches the inside of each muscle cell. So all this, all this aerobic supply, all this oxygen is now reliant on both the quantity and the function or, or the quality really of your mitochondria. And it's not enough just to have a bunch of, you know, basically weak sauce mitochondria. It's not enough to have a handful of really robust ones either. We need many and we need them to function really well. We need them to be healthy. And this also is a result of proper training and adequate recovery. A, a huge part of which is, is your diet, but that's a whole other enormous discussion, but it can influence all of this. Suffice it to say, effective endurance training brings about more mitochondria that suck up all this freshly delivered oxygen, meaning less oxygen will make the round trip back to the heart because you're utilizing more of it. And so once again, your heart doesn't have to beat as many times as it used to when you were less conditioned. So final recap, this, this, an, an elevated level of fitness. So via endurance training in, in our context can lead to greater mitochondrial density. That's the term you're going to see quite a lot if you read really anything related to endurance training within your muscle fibers. And this translates to better use 
of the oxygen it receives, meaning once more, heart has to beat fewer times each minute as your endurance capabilities improve. So oh, a heart if rate I can is, wrap that up yeah. super quick, it's, it's, it's just, a, just that three of the many, many possible training adaptations that can explain how heart rates differ across and within endurance athletes are these three things. There are others. And these don't even take into account the wide range of differences in heart rates totally apart from endurance training, having nothing to do with being an athlete. So I'm going to yeah. summarize. As you get more fit, generally at the same wattage, you will have a lower heart rate. But mm-hmm. two, when comparing between different two different people, it means per, nothing um, because it doesn't. It's like comparing the, the the revs in a car for like overall what car is going to be faster. You yeah. can have totally different engines. And if you look at our our group ramp test, this is a great example, especially the last test, maybe not or two tests ago. Pete and I are pretty similar in power output, but our heart rates wildly different. People are just commenting on how low Pete's uh, heart rate is relative to his power output. Um, yep. and, and Lance Armstrong famously had a very high power or heart rate output. Um, and you just can't get speed from power or, or fitness, but relative to yourself, if you raise your FTP by hundred Watts, man, your power at that previous FTP is going to have a much lower heart rate than what it does now at your new FTP. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amber's going to be joining us again here in just a bit. So one way to look at that is that heart rate is one indicator of something that's going on in the body. However, it is not an indicator of like performance, right, Chad? It's not an indicator of fitness or anything else. You can see trends over time and individually check it out, but it's absolutely individually. Yeah. Yep. And that's like a hard thing too, even with trends, like Nate, I'm sure in this whole process of you discovering your limits and going through that whole thing, I'm sure you've seen heart rate trends and some days it's been up, some days it's probably been down and some days it's kind of changed. It's really tough to just kind of put a lot of stock into whatever that data means, right? Yeah. It, the biggest correlation I, I find for performance is just how I feel. Like mm-hmm. I feel I kind of like the day or once you get into a workout, I pretty much know how well it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes my heart rate is higher than normal. Sometimes it's lower than normal. But if, you know, if you feel horrible, it's usually going to be a horrible workout. Not all oh, yeah. the time, but usually. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Chad, you were going to say something? No, no, that's, I, I was just agreeing with Nate's point. It, it, I think in, in all cases, I mean, data is useful in so many ways, but it just always boils back down to how you feel. It's you like, a, have, it, go sorry, go ahead, Nate. No, go ahead. I was going to change subjects. I was going to say being a fan of motocross racing, it's always extremely frustrating because that sport isn't data driven doesn't really have any way to like measure performance necessarily other than you are faster than the other person. So I don't blame them for using heart rate, but, uh, they rely on heart rate so much and we're pretty spoiled having power because then we can actually see what a person's doing compared to their weight and see so many different things and get some actual, you know, objective data about what they're doing. Uh, so many times I'm watching it and somebody's like, Oh, I bet his heart rates at 190 or like they've even had heart rate data. And they're like, that person's at 190 and that person's at 160. The person at 190 must be trying so mm-hmm. much harder. And it's not the case. Uh, it's this always happens. Changing. This happens in the tour de France too. Right. Oh, yeah. or, or the power that they stream is like one second power mm-hmm. and you'll see it. It'll be like 500, 200, 100, 500. And you're like, what's going on <laughs> here? Crazy. It's pointless. Yeah. yeah exactly. You're not getting much insight from it. Right. And that's so, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So, uh, we're going to jump into, uh, uh, some of the live questions while we wait for Amber to rejoin us. Cause we have a great question that we want Amber to answer here, but she's are, are we going to have enough time? to go through that for Amber. Cause we only Possibly. have eight minutes if we're going to keep to our, yes. our thing. 
We're going to give it a shot. We'll see. So um, it all depends on when Amber can get back with us, but just the same. Let's go into Greg's question. Uh, So he says, a quick question. Why are the aerobic endurance workouts on the training plan limited to two hours? So there are a couple different ways that we can, uh, or a couple different points to make on this one, right, Chad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, well, typically they're, they're confined by whether you're on a low, mid, or high volume plan, um, firstly. Secondly, you can always swap them out. You can, you can go longer. I mean, really the constraint is we're looking at how many weekly hours you have to train. So that means these rides can only be so long if we're going to get the other quality rides in with them. It's not to say you can't ride longer. It's not to say there aren't benefits to be obtained from riding longer. It's just that you you have as much time as you have. Mm -hmm. Um, and two, uh, they aren't, uh, if you look at the weekly tips, you can see that there will be a swapped Sunday workout that is usually an aerobic ride instead of a sweet spot ride for some of those aerobic adaptions. And what we did is we looked at the data and almost none of you were doing the long workouts. And what we thought in our heads is, hey, is it better for someone to not do the three-hour indoor workout or to do a two-hour sweet spot workout? And uh, I think in general, it'll make them faster to do the two-hour sweet spot. But if you look at the weekly tips, Chad still left that in there of an option that you could do it. And you could also switch to it and then do it outside as an outside uh, workout on your Garmin or uh, Wahoo head unit. And those are super fun too, uh, to do that, especially if you have the terrain to be able to do it. Amber, what say you? Do you think that we can cover the question that we have here in the time frame that we have? I think so. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll probably, we'll forego some of the live questions then most likely, but I think this is a super important question to address just the same. Uh, Let's go in uh, to this question here. So it says, for many years now, I have found that my mood is very much governed by my training. I feel I have to train. I have to stay fit. And this can often become quite an overwhelming and controlling force. During last week's rest week, I found it very hard. I was feeling quite down, worthless, and up and unhappy just because there wasn't a strict training regime to work toward that week. I know this is something that is shared by so many other athletes, so perhaps a good conversation could come from this. To put it simply, can a healthy habit become an unhealthy addiction, and how can you spot this and then deal with it? This is a good one. Um, and there's a few, it's, there's a few dimensions to this. So the way that I want to tackle this is we'll talk, um, first about distinguishing between positive feedback and addiction, because there is such thing as really good positive feedback. Um, but then as we know that that can then turn into kind of a a darker, there's a darker side of that, that positive feedback cycle that then becomes addiction. So let's talk about the differences between those two. Um, because just because you feel good when you work out and then not as good when you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're addicted to exercise. So we'll kind of look at those two differences and then we'll define exercise addiction. We'll talk about some of the diagnostic criteria and the prevalence of this, um, and then discuss based on those criteria, how does, you know, how can we look into the, some of that gray area there? Cause there is definitely gray area. Um, and then from there we can back out and talk about some of the just normal ups and downs that happen with training. So to jump into this, first of all, exercise addiction is a thing. This is real. Um, and so I think one of the big questions is where is the line? And I guess the, the way to, to tackle that, like I said, will be to talk about there's seven diagnostic criteria for, for exercise addiction. So I'm just going to kind of go through those briefly and we can talk about them. The first one is tolerance. And that is, as we know with other addictions, needing more and more of the initial activity to achieve sought after results. Now, this is really different from what we talk about as far as needing to overload certain systems to get training adaptations. Like that's a totally different form of tolerance. This is not the psychological tolerance that comes with addiction. So this is more like a feeling that no matter how much you work out, it's never enough. 
And then the second criteria is withdrawal. So just like this athlete's talking about, you have anxiety, fatigue, irritability, or other unenjoyable emotional or physical experiences um, on days when you're not able to work out as planned. And this is actually pretty common among athletes. So we'll talk about this a little bit more for context. Um, the third diagnostic criteria is intention effect. So repeatedly exceeding planned upon limits to the amount of time spent exercising. So this is kind of like if you're always tacking on extra time or additional workouts to a recommended plan, like that would be kind of what, what this one is talking about. The fourth one is lack of control. So experiencing one's physical activity habits as difficult or impossible to keep at manageable levels. Um, so this is where you might start feeling compulsion to exercise in like weirdly unrelated, <laughs> uh, scenarios. Um, and then the fifth one is time. So far more time is spent exercising than is recommended by medical or fitness professionals. And then you're constantly planning, engaging in, or recovering from physical activity. And it consumes a noticeably large portion of one's days and weeks. Now, this is something where, um, you know, as far as the diagnostic criteria, they're talking about doing far more than what your doctor or your coach would recommend. Reading this in certain ways, you could definitely think of an elite athlete or an Olympic athlete as for sure ticking this, this box. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're addicted, but this is one of the criteria that would define an addiction. Uh, the sixth one is reductions in other activities. So social work-related and leisure endeavors are sidelined to prioritize fitness. And the key here is often to the detriment of one's emotional and interpersonal well-being. And that's really key because, I mean, we're all trying to balance a lot of things in life. And especially if you're trying to train or perform at a really high level, you may have to knock some of your social life out of the calendar to make room for the training. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily to the emotional inter detriment to, of your emotional and interpersonal well-being. And so I think that's probably just an overarching key with all of this. And then the last one is continuance. Uh, so this is where one persists in physical activity, activity despite illness, injury, negative psychological outcomes, or medical advice to taper down or take a break. So this is where no matter what, you're just not willing to dial it back even when it's really, really clearly needed. So these are the seven diagnostic criteria. And it's not, this is not a matter of like, if you tick a certain number of boxes, you're technically addicted. Uh-oh, what's going on? <laughs> Nate, Nate's smiling like he's getting a blackout in bingo or something. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about like TikTok, lack of control, withdrawal syndromes, away from family, continuance, like I'm hitting all the marks. <laughs> it's, it's really funny because I thought when they talked about uh, trying to fit an exercise in, a in like a seemingly unfitting situation, I thought like, Nate was like, how can I use TikTok for this? Like, that's like totally, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> that's awesome. So well, Amber, one thing I want to cover on this yeah. though, is it is probably not like if you are, for example, on the last point continuance, not willing to dial it back, even when clearly needed, this probably isn't a scenario where like you're trying to, you're trying to push really hard through a single workout. This is probably no. something that's more like chronic and it's, and it's continuing over time likely getting worse, but this is like a, 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 a habitual thing that you see. Right? right. This is like, if you've broken your foot and you're not willing to, you're, you're, you're racking your brain for ways to try to get back on the bike, or you are deathly ill and you are not willing to miss a workout, even though you clearly have a bronchial infection. I mean, that's, that's like, there, 
clearly, yeah, there's a, there's a line. And so all of this is really, a lot of this is a matter of degrees. And this is a really good point because one of the articles that I was looking at about this, um, it was a review article. They were looking at, you know, how this has been defined, how clinically uh, doctors are looking to diagnose this. And one of the big things that they run into is distinguishing between frequent exercise and exercise addiction. So if you look at Olympic and elite level athletes, they're going to consistently meet three of these criteria. At least they're going to devote considerable time to exercise. They're probably going to experience a significant reduction in other activities. And they're definitely going to go through withdrawal when their training has to stop or they have to cut back on their training. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're addicted to their sports. So the diagnostic criteria are one set of criteria that doctors will use, but they'll also kind of look and see if there are other co-occurring addictions. And usually it's very often the case that with exercise addiction, there are other co-occurring addictions because this is sort of a, a behavioral uh, situation. And when you look at prevalence, it's only, it's about 3% of the general population, uh, according to one paper, and we'll link these in the forum. Um, but one of the things that was interesting about this is this, you know, again, this often exercise addiction often co-occurs with other addictions and eating disorders are the most common of these. So 39 to 48% of people suffering from eating disorders also suffer from exercise addiction. And that kind of makes sense because the exercise becomes a compulsive outlet for burning calories. Um, so in this sense, there's a, a way to distinguish primary versus secondary uh, exercise addiction. So primary exercise addiction is where there's no co-occurring eating disorder, but then officially they'll call it secondary exercise addiction if there is a co-occurring eating disorder. And this can be problematic because often what happens is the, the athlete then is being treated for the eating disorder and they're not necessarily being treated for the, ex the, the co-occurring exercise addiction. And so it's, it's interesting and something to keep in mind. Um, but again, you can really go down a rabbit hole with all of this because there's some granular distinctions between compulsive behavior and addiction. And we don't need to really go that far into the weeds on this. Um, and, but there, I, we will have some articles linked in the forum that you can take a look at on this. But again, kind of stepping back from this, I think you can probably find a way to read yourself into most of those diagnostic criteria. <laughs> but again, it's a matter of degree. It's a matter of severity. And, and the real key there is like, is it significantly impacting your well-being, your relationships, your life as a whole? And again, going back to the original question. <laughs> <laughs> Nate and Nate TikTok. And TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but to the, to the original question. Of course, you're going to feel good when you work out and you're going to feel less good when you don't get to work out. I mean, that makes sense. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing and it doesn't mean that you're addicted to exercise. So again, even doctors who are working with people who are addicted to exercise, they're, they're considering all the diagnostic criteria, but they're also looking at other factors, including co-occurring, co-occurring disorders. So there's a lot of gray area here. Um, and we talked on a previous episode about specifically why working out feels really good. And we found that there are physiological feedback loops that are specifically in there to promote more movement, you know, that, that reinforce just general movement of the human body because it's a good healthy thing for us. So a lot of this is just normal and natural. And I think, was it Chad that was put the comment in here about recovery weeks are hard just in different ways and routine changes are challenging in and of themselves. 
Yeah. yeah. And it's that simple too. I mean, you, you do the same thing week in, week out, day in, day out. You have a particular schedule that you're sticking to things that are familiar on, on Monday morning I, or Tuesday morning. I do this Wednesday afternoon. I do this. And then you have to disrupt that pattern. Just that pattern disruption is hard. The fact that you're not getting something, getting to do something that's typically satisfying, something that often enough allows you to do other things. Like if I don't do my four or 500 calorie butter burner, I don't get my beer that night. So, <laughs> so there are all sorts of little, little, little drawbacks to, to not working out that week uh, on top of the fact that it's just a break in the, the continuity of, of your day to day. This yeah. is like, there's a lot of, there's a really fine line, like you said, Amber, to, to walk with all this. And it's probably the, and each person's probably going to have to define that line somewhat individually and discover that, but maybe it'd help like Amber, if you shared, cause like you had mentioned Nate earlier in the podcast, Amber's been training for years, right? Like, <laughs> and, and, and as a job, so then it, it gets even more complex in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, so how have you managed this, whether it's through swimming or cycling, how have you, or what have you learned trying to manage the, the, the fine line balance between them? <laughs> yeah, we talked about this a little while ago. And um, on one of the last podcasts, I talked about the fact that I really went through some serious struggles with swimming and that when I got into cycling, it was this really cool new opportunity to apply a lot of the lessons that I'd learned from swimming to a new sport and to feel like I could, I had a chance at a better experience. Um, so I really, I thought about this and I, you know, we can talk about any of these, but I basically just try to come up with like a top of the head list of little life lessons that I've learned along the way. So I'm just going to walk through those pretty briefly. And then if you guys want to jump in and talk about any of them, feel free. So I think the very, very first one is to be your own best ally, ally, <clears throat> excuse me. And this is hard, um, because I think a lot of us really develop, uh, a strong inner critic, if you will. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being your be- own best ally, there's kind of three components of this. One is self-awareness. And that's really about, you have to be honest with yourself. And when you're honest with yourself, then you can really trust yourself. And those are two, two pieces of that self-awareness component. Um, and if you have a hard time with that, then I think a good place to start with this is to try to start replacing your internal criticism with curiosity and compassion. A lot of people get really attached to their inner critic because they feel like without the inner critic, that they're not going to have the drive necessary to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And that's just not true. So experiment with it. You know, the next time you find yourself using harsh language in your head, see if you can just replace it with some curiosity and compassion rather than criticism. And then the third component of being your own best ally is advocate for yourself. And this is a big one and it's much easier said than done, but very, very important. Um, the second point on here is to build a village (laughs) and, you can't do any of this alone. You always need a support system. So finding just, you know, a small core group of people that you really trust who genuinely have your best interests in mind. And these don't have to be people that know anything about your sport, but just people who you trust, who know you, who you can, who you can go to as a sounding board and know that whatever advice or feedback they're giving you is with your best interests in mind. Um, number three is to have fun. Really? <laughs> like, it's very easy to, you know, feel like you're getting in there and you're really taking your work seriously and you're being disciplined and that's all fine and good, but you can take your work seriously without taking yourself seriously. And that's really, really important. So always maintaining some element of fun. Um, and related to this is my fourth point on here, which is to cultivate a beginner's mind. So always be a student of your sport. 
this is related to maintaining a growth mindset, which uh, we may or may not get into a little bit later on this one. Um, and I like the beginner's mindset because it gives you, it automatically kind of gives you this really nice balance of humility, which is, you know, the humility to know that you don't know everything, but you can balance that with drive, which is, okay, I don't know everything, but I am so excited to learn and improve. Um, and it's just a nice way to hit that sweet spot of, if you will, <laughs> of mental state. Uh, the fifth That's, point on here. Oh yeah. I'm just saying that beginner's mindset is so important with all employees and on onboarding, I actually mentioned that to people like keep that the whole time and don't be mm -hmm. afraid to ask like air quotes, dumb questions. Yeah. Um, it's like, cause it's a lot of times too, is it like you, this is why the sport goes forward. There's a bunch of like, um, common, uh, traditions that they do. And then someone goes, what if we don't have air pressure at 120 and try it like 80, <laughs> right? And then it's actually better. Someone, someone asked the question, like, why do we put it at 120? I don't get it. Uh, and then it pushes the sport forward. So same with in your business and work, like have that same thing. It's, it's awesome. And it's just, don't be afraid to ask a dumb question and, and air quotes look stupid. Right. Because get, pride gets into the way, in the way of that curiosity and experimentation. And, yeah. and sport is all about curiosity, learning, experimentation, figuring out what works for you. Uh, it's all about growth. So this is, yeah, it's super foundational. Um, number five is mental and physical. And by the way, you guys, these are just in no particular order. This is just kind of the order in which I thought of them. So there's no hierarchical importance here, but mental and physical health are prerequisites to everything. These have to come first. So if you're ever in a point, position of like, you know, especially when it comes to injury and illness, your, your health has to come first. So that's always foundational. Uh, number six is there's no secret formula. So I think a lot of folks kind of feel like, oh, if I, just, if I just find the right diet or the right combination of diet and training plan and morning routine and, you know, ratio of fats and oils in my coffee in the morning. I mean, there is no secret formula. You just, it's a learning process get into the process, be willing to jump into that, the trenches of learning. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of the fun and the joy will be anyway. Uh, number seven is to cultivate agency in the pursuit of your goals. So you can set goals, but don't become a slave to them. Setting a goal is all about creating agency and a sense of autonomy and self-empowerment. And you want to really, really cultivate that kind of an approach rather than feeling like, your dreams are, dom you know, your dreams, quote unquote, are dominating everything. Um, it's a, that one sounds a little bit of an oxymoron, but trust me, that's, you want to feel a sense of agency and empowerment as you're chasing your goals, not feel like your goals are, uh, that you're, you're subservient to your goals. Uh, number eight is your path will be unique. You can't model your journey on it and someone else's. There's nobody in the world just like you. Uh, so it's, it's great when you can look to athletes that you admire and look at components of the things about them that you admire, but just know that what works for them might not work for you. And just because they took a particular path to become a champion doesn't mean that that's the only path. There are a million different pathways to get from where you are to where you want to be. And you just need to figure out what, which one's going to work for you. Um, number nine is to keep one eye on sustainability at all times. So we love to throw this, the, the saying of go big or go home around, but honestly, consistency is so much more powerful than going big. And so sometimes, yeah, sometimes you really, if you're faced with those sort of decisions, always opt for consistency over going big. Progress takes time and it requires a lot of patience. I like to think of this as like 
water cutting through stone. I mean, you go look at the Grand Canyon, like it's just water through stone, but boy, does that take a long time (laughs) to Mm -hmm. forge. So yeah, just keeping an eye on like, uh, you know, it's not just about the next result. It's also about what comes after the next result. How can you, how can you maintain like a sustainable effort and relationship with your sport? John, did you have a question? Yeah, Nate, you and I discussed that very thing after the ramp test, right? We were, we were talking about how everything went and we were talking about how like you basically said, like, it was just too much. Like I did too much too soon. And we were talking about how, how fast we would be if we just tried to hit our marks at consistently, not try to blow them out of the water. Oh yeah. But just yeah, keep that's- it consistent for a year. Yeah. With John and I, I, I have issues uh, previously with sickness and that's kind of been solved, but just with travel where it doesn't, I can't be consistent. And John has with life and stuff and being a dad and work, uh, mm-hmm. not being consistent. And I just, we look, you look back at that TSS chart. What if we just had a three on one off consistently for a year of like <laughs> mid volume, right? Not even high volume, just mid, we would be probably amazing year over year. Uh, mm-hmm. and th- that's probably the biggest I think that's the, I, I, don't, I want your, everyone's opinion on this, but I think the lowest hanging fruit for everybody is consistency. That's probably the, the, yeah. the biggest bang for your buck and that no one or very few people actually are consistent. Totally. And you bring up a good point. And this is just one of the <clears throat> related to this is pushing through injury and illness. It's just not worth it. It's never worth it you know, take injuries and illnesses seriously, allow your body to heal appropriately. And again, this goes back to that sustainability. Yeah. John. Yeah. Like two things that come to mind with that first, like when I was dealing with my knee injury, I got to a point where I had to say, cause it was like, you know, years of dealing with this thing. And I got to the point where I had to say, I need to stop training because the pressure of, of trying to train when I could on a day where it felt okay. And then it would just put me back further that pressure of trying to keep that going was so hard on myself. And I was just so critical Mm -hmm. of myself the whole time. And then got into the habit of thinking, why me? Why do I have to suffer with this if nobody else does? It was, it was frustrating to get into that position, even from an external perspective. Once I alleviated that stress and quit being so hard on myself and telling myself that I needed to train, I needed to do that. And I just let the injury take its course. And I really, you know, focused on just rehabbing it appropriately. Then everything got so much better. Um, so that's, uh, one point, uh, just like an anecdote on that. And then also on the concept of, of consistency and paying off over time. That's one of the biggest arguments for not, you know, being a hero on the last interval. That's like a big temptation for me. And I think it's a big temptation for a lot of people, but you just never know what's going to happen three days down the road, one week, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks. And if you think of it in terms of stress adding up, looking back, I would much rather have stuck to my marks just perfectly and then been able to do that the whole way through rather Mm -hmm. than accumulated extra little bits of stress along the way that got to the point where it made it so that I couldn't continue. And, and those little, those little efforts matter. Like they they do have an effect, you know, they really add up. It's like operating at like a seven or eight for capacity all year long. So when the inevitable push that happens, we don't get pushed over the edge. We get pushed close to the edge and then we can dial it back and I personally am horrible at that in everything in my life. (laughs) You guys all know this, but uh, it is not your strong suit. Sometimes it helps me and other times I get bit. Uh, Beers with Chad. I did not go over the line. I was, I didn't even throw up that night. It was good. You came in tens. You came in full tens on that one. So. Um, uh, but, but I think that that's a really, for all of us, we're probably doing structured training 
And many times we forget about the cumulative nature of structured training. So that's such a key point, Ember, is sustainability. And, and even like for an athlete, like you're with your career, you had a relatively long career, right? In cycling. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure that's because of some of these lessons that you learned with going through swimming and everything else. And I'm sure you weren't, I'm not saying that you were perfect with everything, right? Like, like you said, beginner's mindset, constantly growing, constantly improving, but I'm sure that contributed to a long career. And for all yeah. of us that aren't pros, we should strive to have a long career because if we enjoy this, we want to keep doing it. Yeah. The sustainability comp- I mean, honestly, like it's, it's heartbreaking when you see athletes who burn out and you see somebody who loved the, the sport so much suddenly in a position where they can no longer participate and it's heartbreaking. And you're again, like so much better off just shooting for that consistency and, and doing the things that enable you to be consistent. Right. And that kind of brings me to the next point on here, which is, um, mental toughness. And that's, this is number 10 on the list. Mental toughness is it's emotional resilience. It's not the same as internally directed verbal abuse. It's not the same as ignoring and compartmentalizing, you know, negative emotions, but really over the years, what I discovered is being resilient is, is, is about sitting down with and embracing those crummy emotions when things go wrong, um, being willing to sit with those and learn from them as guideposts and do what you need to do to honestly process things. And part of that is leaning on your village. So making sure that you have that support system and being willing to reach out and ask for help, being vulnerable enough to acknowledge that is super, super important for your longevity. Um, number 11 is to focus on process and execution. So we've talked about this in terms of goal setting, you know, results are awesome and they're part of what drive us, but oftentimes what goes into a result, there are many factors in terms of a result that are not within our control. So this leads me to the next one, which is number 12, which is to control your controllables. And so that goes hand in hand with focusing on process and execution. So focusing on the things that are within your control, learning to let go of the things that are not within your control, because you just can't do anything about them. There's a lot of things you can do to try to set yourself up for success, but that's really the menta- putting your having that mentality of I'm going to put myself in a position to win. I'm going to put myself in a position to be successful in my goals is a really different mentality than like I have to get a certain result because this is a way of acknowledging the things that are not within your control. Uh, number 13 on the list is don't put too much stock in bad days or in good days. So you want to relish the good days, but you don't want to become complacent. And then you got to weather the bad ones too, but don't let them shake you you know, just stay the course again, going back to consistency, sustainability, longevity. Uh, number 14 is to cultivate multiple at multiple facets of your identity. So we all know cycling is not always rainbows and puppy clouds. (laughs) And even as a professional, I had other things going on in my life. You know, my marriage, my relationships, I worked as a grant editor. There were other things that I was doing both personally and professionally that that built up a a total identity for me. So when things weren't going well with cycling, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the whole of my being felt like a failure. It was like, okay, things, you know, in my life as an athlete are not going well, but things in my life as an editor are still pretty good. And and it just helps you kind of weather, it creates a little bit of a, a, an emotional buffer. Um, but it's always important to remember that you're more than your roles, your titles, your labels, and your results. And then the last one I have on this list, and I could probably keep going forever on all of these, but, um, it's just, again, we've talked about this before, ground your discipline and enthusiasm. So fear-based motivation 
it can work in the short term, but it is not sustainable and it's not going to be a foundation for optimal performance. So you really want to question and avoid people who try to motivate you with fear or with abusive language, and then try to avoid doing that to yourself. And then just stay in touch with what it is that really brings you joy in what it is that you're doing. Um, I want to share, there's a I'm not a big person on quotes, but this one I've just, it's really stuck with me my whole life. And I think it's really powerful. It's by Howard Thurman. And it says, don't ask, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And I think that that's a really good way of kind of grounding yourself in your sport. If your sport is something that makes you come alive, it makes you feel better about yourself. It's empowering. That's that's where you want to be in your relationship with sport. Awesome. That was fantastic, Amber. I don't, I, I don't have anything else to add. And I think that Gold. we should absolutely have a blog po- blog post on this of putting together like <laughs> the takeaways that you've had and framing them like that. Right. Cause this isn't like some sort of like, you know, like you said, no sort of order or anything else, but they're no. really valuable things. And I'm sure everybody, when we were listening to that, probably identified and so to some degree with an aspect of, of <laughs> one of those signs, so to speak. And it's because we're doing this challenging thing that is endurance sports. So hopefully that, that helps with everybody here. Uh, okay. With all of that, I think that, uh, we're probably, we're kind of pushing time right now. So, so let's, uh, let's cut it off here. Yeah. Nate, I can see that you sent the message there. You guys don't have to <laughs> chat with me on Slack by the way, or on, on, on zoom because then everybody in the world sees it. So, um, oh, really? yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay, cool. So thanks everybody for tuning in to this week's podcast and you can send messages, uh, all the questions that you have at trainerroad.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you're watching right now, regardless, please give us a thumbs up. Uh, Let us know if you have any questions. Once again, trainerroad.com slash podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.